Well, I'm going to invite Brother Jamie up here. Uh, pastor sometimes says Pastor Jamie, but I'll, I'll call him Brother Jamie. He's like, nope, I'm just Brother Jamie. That's how I am. So uh, can you all give it up for Brother Jamie? He's got a... He's got a great message filled with a lot of scripture, so you're going to want to get something uh, out to take notes with or get your phone ready to, to highlight those, those uh, Bible verses. So, uh, but I'll see you in a little bit. Amen. Cody was complaining earlier in first service that I had too much scripture. So I don't appreciate you not appreciating my appreciation for the word of God. Good morning, everyone. It is such a blessing and an honor, first of all, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I also want to mention our beloved pastor. Pastor Chris has been my pastor for over 20 years, and I was just thinking back to the fact that when Foundation first started, he never took a Sunday off. He preached every single Sunday for at least the first 15 plus years. He wouldn't take a vacation. I mean, there were times when he was sick, but he still come on the platform. And I mean really sick. You've heard some of his testimony about some of the illnesses that he's been through. But he was still so faithful. And he served as a tremendous source of inspiration for me, as well as a, a mentor. Um, you know, he would not let just anyone come and speak from this platform. He is extremely protective of his flock. Um, so why he chose me or why the Holy Spirit put it on his heart to ask me to speak, it's a mystery. That's a mystery. But I'm just so grateful for my pastor and the fact that he's had the opportunity to get away and spend time with his family. And he's done that now pretty consistently for the last several years. Um, so many of you just don't understand. That's a big deal, a very big deal. Amen? So as you can see from the title of today's message, I got some questions for you this morning, church. Now, these questions are rhetorical for the most part, so work with me. Who do you think you are versus who you say you are? Is who you think you are and say you are consistent with who God says you are? Now, when I say you, I'm referring to you as a church as well as you as an individual. Now, many of you might be thinking, Brother Jamie, I don't know. On all accounts, I, I just don't know. And that's okay. Because today, we're going to take a look at who Jesus has called you to be. Kingdom people. We have seven points to cover today. And a lot of scripture. Some that I will be saying aloud that are in my notes but all the scriptures will be posted on the big screen. Are you with me? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. All right, let's get started. Number one, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the scene. Jesus has been going from place to place, 
proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is here. But, he's, but he hasn't just been saying stuff. He's been doing stuff as well. People are getting healed. Demons are being driven out. And paralytics are standing on their own two feet. Understandably, Jesus' fame is spreading and great crowds are following him wherever he goes. But his message is still all about the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. The Bible says Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. What is the gospel? It's the amazing announcement that through Jesus' intervention in history, our God has once again become king. His kingdom is coming to earth, and everyone is invited in. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus is announcing the arrival of his kingdom. He takes the time to sit down and clarify what his kingdom is all about. He does this in the Sermon on the Mount. Arguably, the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave. This message includes things like the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. If you've grown up in church, you probably know of these things, but might not get the kingdom connection. Get ready to see Jesus weave this all together. If you don't have any clue what a beatitude even is, welcome to this front row seat of the radical teachings of Jesus. Amen? Amen. The Sermon on the Mount is going to serve as our reference, our picture, sort of our gut check for becoming kingdom people. Why should this title describe us so well? Because as followers of Christ, we are not primarily citizens of any earthly nation, but of God's kingdom. So our way of operating should represent our true allegiance. We are called to look different than other people because we are kingdom people. Who do you think you are? Realizing that this calling to represent God's kingdom to the world is a high honor. Jesus picked you, as in intentionally nominated you to be his ambassador. In the U.S., our ambassadors are handpicked by the president to represent this country to other nations. You've been handpicked by the king to represent his kingdom to all nations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. The Bible says, 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Take this seriously, but also don't be worried. God has given you everything you need to do this well. He is with and equips those he calls, and he's called us to be kingdom people. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Amen? Number two, the Beatitudes. In the intro to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he shares eight blessings, eight puzzle pieces that come together to form a picture of what a kingdom person looks like. This description ultimately points us to the perfect depiction in King Jesus. These are the things we are called to be as we represent him for the world to see. And this is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Kingdom people aren't the proud or seemingly powerful people in the room. We are the ones who recognize our brokenness and need for Jesus. The Bible says he resists the proud, but offers grace, offers the kingdom to the humble. Blessed are those who mourn. It breaks our hearts as kingdom people to see the world not as it should be. We desperately long for the restoration, for God to bring his restoration to the earth, to wipe away every tear and for his justice to reign over all. Blessed are the meek. We have power from God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, but this immense power is under control. It's pointed toward compassionate actions for others. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This means we long to see Jesus and pursue him with intensity. We are hungry and thirsty for who he is and want others to walk closely with him too. Our craving for his justice is stronger than our taste for bitterness or vengeance. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is choosing to offer compassion regardless of the situation. So kingdom people give when they could withhold, and they forgive when it's undeserved. Blessed are the pure in heart. Kingdom people pay attention to, the, to their intentions and the conditions of their hearts. We recognize that our actions follow our motivations. So we cultivate thoughts and attitudes that honor God. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are not side takers. Kingdom people do their best to live at peace with everyone, 
We are ready to answer and share our hope, but not looking to argue and prove our point. We stand in the gaps and fight for unity. Amen? Blessed are the persecuted. We are ambassadors of our king and his kingdom. So we do things differently than the rest of the world. People don't always applaud differences. In fact, they usually attack them. But kingdom people are able to look at our example, Jesus, and we remain hopeful even when the odds are stacked against us. Number three, salt and light. As kingdom people, Christ's chosen ambassadors, we live in the world but are not of it. We are different. We stand out. And our difference is meant to be for others. We help with detection and direction. We are salt and we are light. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. What is Jesus talking about? Well, salt is meant to be noticeable. It's supposed to add a distinct flavoring to things. It's commonly recognized that there are five basic tastes. Sweet, sour, bittery, bitter, savory, and salty. But did you know that saltiness is the easiest flavor for our taste buds to detect? Is that true of us as kingdom people? Jesus didn't say you are the sugar of the earth. No, he said we're the salt of the earth. It should be easy for people to detect our presence in situations because we bring the distinctness of the kingdom of God in how we carry ourselves and communicate. Jesus also refers us at, refers to us as the light of the world. And he raises the point that no one would light a lamp only to hide it under a basket. It's intended to provide clarity and visibility to the whole house. And so are we. As kingdom people, we should have a clarifying effect on the people we meet. What we say and do should help them see their heavenly father. And that's what Jesus says the result will be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Kingdom people help the world detect God's goodness and direct their attention toward their heavenly father. But this requires boldness. We are called to live a life that stands out and shines bright. Thankfully, God has equipped us with his very own spirit. The spirit that does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and the self-discipline to carry ourselves like kingdom people. To be salt and light. Is it easy for others to recognize you as a kingdom person. 
Why or why not? Pray. Ask God for boldness to stand out and shine bright for him today. Amen? Amen. Number four, you have heard it said. In the Sermon on the Mount so far, Jesus has been describing what it looks like to be a kingdom person. Now he's going to take us through some real-life situations and emotions and teach us how a kingdom person responds to them. And this is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. First, Jesus tells us that kingdom people respond to anger and conflict by pursuing reconciliation with urgency. It's not enough to refrain from attacking people physically or verbally. That's a given. Instead, we are motivated by reconciliation so much that we are willing to go to great lengths just for the chance to make things right. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. For much of Jesus' audience, leaving their gift at the altar and returning to their own village would entail something like an 80-mile journey. 80 miles on foot, no car, no guarantees. This is the kingdom way. We go to great lengths to make things right. Amen? We also take drastic measures to avoid sin. Jesus communicates the seriousness of this by saying, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Is he speaking literally? No. But my goodness, does he mean business? So what do you need to cut off? Unfollow, delete, or block to help you walk in integrity. Next, we learn that kingdom people don't try to prove their point or to prove their sincerity. We value honesty. Jesus tells us, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. So we don't have hidden agendas. We don't leave things out or add things in to misrepresent a situation. We will be truth tellers, not fact twisters. Jesus raised the stakes for us one more time in this passage by asking us to go above and beyond for everyone and challenging us to show love to our enemies. Yep, not just the people we get along with or the people we can mostly put up with, but our least favorite people on their worst of days. That's who Jesus calls us to pray for and to pursue with love. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, 
In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So why does Jesus spend so much of this sermon raising the standards for his followers? He is showing us that kingdom people are just as concerned with external actions as we are with internal motivations. We understand that our actions come from the inside, not the other way around. So we are called to be people who pay attention to the condition of our own hearts. Who do you think you are? Be introspective today. That means examine and observe yourself. Why do you do the things you do? What are the internal motivations that lead to your external actions? Do your motives line up with what his kingdom is about? Number five, the Lord's Prayer. And this is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Think about this. It would be pretty hard, pretty challenging to describe someone you never actually talked to. So as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, we need to talk to our king. You see, it's in talking to and spending time with him that our understanding of who he is grows and so does our ability to represent him. But how should we pray? Jesus lays it all out, and it's so cool because Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, so he has the unique ability to see both perspectives. Only he truly knows both what it's like to pray to the Father in all kinds of situations and emotions, and to hear and respond to the prayers of his people. So Jesus definitely knows what he's talking about when he begins in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, right off the bat, Jesus reminds us that we get to know and talk to God as Father. This is beautiful because God is not just a, a bigger version of our earthly dad. He is the perfect version, period. Amen? He has nothing but the best in mind for his children. He's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, and he's eternal. But he's also compassionate, kind, merciful, and faithful, just to name a few. That's our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, set apart, greatly honored, or revered. So this is our acknowledgement that God is the only one worthy of our worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus launched the kingdom on earth through his ministry and invited everyone to be a part of it. This mission will be completed when Jesus one day returns. But in the meantime, we get to be a part of the process by living as kingdom people now 
and praying for God to continue the work that Jesus started on this earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Here, we remind ourselves that God is our provider. He gives us all we need for each day. Fight the temptation of worrying about the future or camping out in the past. You have all you need from God for today. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Don't get into the habit of asking God for things you yourself are unwilling to give. Understand that, as C.S. Lewis writes, to be Christian, a kingdom person means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have an enemy, but it's not the person that drives us crazy. It's the devil, the evil one. Scripture tells us that the devil literally stalks around like a cat of prey, looking for someone to take down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We acknowledge who our real enemy is, but we don't freak out because our Father is able to defend and deliver us. Kingdom people don't fight with each other or others. We get to fight for others together in prayer. For the next week, commit to praying this prayer at least once a day. Notice how it changes what you might normally pray about or even the tone of your prayers. Amen? Number six, birds, sawdust, and what they have to do with us. Jesus continues to teach us what a kingdom person looks like. And in this section, he gets really practical with some everyday examples. Birds, you've seen them flying in formation, sometimes directly into our windows. But I'll bet you've never seen a bird farming or scurrying up and down the aisles of a grocery store, grabbing food off shelves in a panic. You've never seen that. I mean, I've, I've never seen that. Why? Simply put, they don't have to. They are able to scavenge, to hunt, finding resources and using instincts that are readily available to them. They don't sit there and worry about the worms. They simply get up early in the morning and go get them. Or the saying goes, well, Jesus challenges us to think about this in light of the truth that we are much more valuable to God than the birds. He provides for us more directly and gracefully because he's our heavenly father. As kingdom people, we get to live into this truth because God's got us. 
We have peace in a world that's full of anxiety. We are marked by the special assurance that comes from knowing who God is and who we are to him. He delights in taking care of us. It's not a burden for God to keep and bless us. It's a natural result of who he is, a strong, loving father. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. That's why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now let's drop down to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Are you with me? Amen. Because we have this peace and assurance from God, we don't need to waste or forfeit our time and energy judging others. Think about it. We usually judge, mock, and make fun of others to cover some insecurity in ourselves. Jesus says when we do that, it's like pointing out a speck of sawdust in someone else's eyes when we're walking around like Pinocchio with a big old plank sticking out of our own faces. Don't be Pinocchio. Kingdom people learn to bring our insecurities to God and allow him to remind us who we are to him. It's from that place we can share effectively with others because our motive shifts. We aren't picking on them with a judgment mentality. We are loving them with a kingdom mentality. Remember, Jesus launched the kingdom and everyone is invited in. Write down who you are to God. Find some scripture to help you remember and add them to your list. The next time you're tempted to be anxious, refer back to the truth and lean in into the security of your identity in him. Amen? Number seven, our last point. Now, I'm sure most of you were thinking, when I said I got seven points to go over, you guys were thinking, oh, we're going to be here all morning. Well, guess what? We've arrived at bullet point number seven. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus has been teaching for quite a while now, and hopefully you've started to see the big picture of what he's painting of God's kingdom and what it looks like to be a part of it. So how does Jesus choose to conclude? Well, in true Jesus fashion, he tells a story. And this is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. In this store, there are two guys, two houses. The first guy builds his house on the rock. Storms, floods, rain, and wind inevitably come. But the house stays standing 
because it's built well on a solid foundation. On the other hand, the second guy builds his house on sand. The same storms come, but this time the house comes crashing down because sand sinks and sand shifts. What's the point? People who hear Jesus' teachings and put them into action are like the first guy. It's kingdom people who build on the rock. But if we're living based off something other than Jesus' teachings, we will sink into laziness. Or worst off, we will lose our perspective and it will shift from reality. When the storms of life come, there's nothing solid to fall back on except the eternal words of our King. All other ground, and I mean all other ground, is sinking, shifting sand. When Jesus ends the message on the mountain, Matthew tells us the people were in awe. They had never heard anyone teach like this before. Not just because of what Jesus said, that was radical enough, but how he said it, he spoke with authority. His only source to sight was God himself. That's bold. That's powerful. Jesus could speak with such authority because he spent his whole life backing up this message. His whole life. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Beatitudes. He's the light of the world. He went above and beyond to the point of giving his life to show us love. He constantly communicated with his father. He knew who he was and why he was here. Jesus could proclaim the kingdom with power because he was destined to be its perfect king. Now, there's a piece of scripture that I didn't add in my notes or for the slides. And this is a really clear illustration of the example that's set in Jesus. So if you're taking notes, and my Rush students, y'all better be taking notes. <laughs> we discussed this on Wednesday. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And the Apostle Paul lays out the attitude of Jesus and the fact that he willingly came from heaven and took on a human form, died a criminal's death so that we may have reconciliation with the Father. And it describes his attitude. And the overlying theme is humility. We were asking our Rush students if they knew anyone who was humble. And they actually struggled a little bit. They're like, I can't think of anybody who's actually humble. It was hard for me too, because I'm sure humility is something we all struggle with. Amen? Oh, come on now. Am I the only one here who struggles with humility? You guys aren't being honest. 
But here's the thing. And I need you to think about this. If there was any person on this planet that had the right to brag, it's Jesus. The only one responsible who was able to supernaturally move us from death to life eternally. Can any of you do anything that's close to that? Then what do you have to brag about, to boast about? And not only that, it's a free gift that he offers us. Amen? Humility. Actually, one of our students said, Pastor Chris, he's humble. Amen. I love you, Pastor. So as we close and the music begins to play, I'm going to invite Brother Cody back up to lead us in communion. But now we get to follow after Jesus in proclaiming the kingdom because he has invited us in. And he has not only invited us in, but has also appointed us as ambassadors, his representatives to the world. How do we continue the mission of bringing heaven to earth? We do this by living a life that backs up our calling as kingdom people. Who do you think you are? Amen? Amen. Well, let's give it up for Brother Jamie. So as is, I knew I would have to be up here at this given time this week, and I was trying to prepare because I'm not used to doing this. I'm used to, like, kind of running around a little bit. Um, so I'm not getting all my steps in, and so I'm going to the track and gym after this. Um, so I was thinking, like, I had a question for God. Like, God, why do we do communion every week? You know, I, I grew up in a denominational church where it happened once a month. And uh, you had to be a certain age. You had all these requirements, right? And God had a simple message for me. This is my love for you. I was like, God, that's, that's love right there? He said, this is my love. He said, it reminds you of the sacrifice that I, I gave my firstborn, my onlyborn, gave him up for you. And one day when you have kids, you'll realize how hard it would be to sacrifice your own for, for the same way God did, right? He said, but I did it out of love for you and for everybody else. I was like, okay, God, I'm good. I, I, I totally got it. So this morning, as we partake, we're going to spend a couple, couple seconds, and I want you to think about all the love God has given you this week. Well, what, is that, what does that love look like? It's going to look different for each one of us, and he's going to remind you of all the things he's blessed you with this week or 
Maybe all those struggles are going to come back up in your head that the enemy is going to put in there and, and God's going to be like, I took care of all of those because I love you. And I give you my grace and I give you my mercy. So just spend a couple seconds with him. And maybe you don't know how much he does love you. Or maybe you've heard it a time and time again. I'm going to let you know. He would leave the 99 for you. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come before you today, Lord, just thanking you for your love. Thanking you for your blessings. Thanking you for... for paying that ultimate sacrifice. That we just, we could never imagine that sacrifice, Lord. Father God, we, we bring before, before you just everything that we're gonna deal with this week. We ask for your will to be done. And we ask that you just take care of those distractions, Lord. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's partake. Thank you for your blood, Jesus. Well, amen. We will see you all Tuesday and Wednesday for discipleship. And then again on Sunday. Y'all have a blessed week. Stay tuned on your MyFCM app for all of our events. Have a good day.